0: hardest thing about leadership is there's no there's no end to it. There's no final, there's no grand final, there's no degree at the end, there's no Super Bowl. Like you just it's every single day you'll get you'll make mistakes, but you actually have to reflect on it.
1: You're listening to Voices of Value a selection of valuable insights designed to help you get more out of your professional and personal life through simple and easy to adopt life lessons if you're keen to enjoy a better quality of life at work and at home sit back and join the conversation with your hosts peter kakos and rick rushton welcome to voices
2: of value this is peter kakos with my good friend rick rushton for another episode
3: And another special guest rick And it is pete and i've just been reflecting over the weekend you know we've interviewed so many great leaders over this last 12 months and many of those have shared with us what they do on a weekly basis to keep on selling their vision to their team and how they keep on you know demanding standards and driving people and things of that nature but our next guest i'm excited about because this is somebody who's actually lived leadership and done it to a high extent but also is revered in both the professional sports industry that he came from and more importantly, the wider corporate world for not only helping current leaders peak, get better at what they do, but establishing the next generation of leaders or as he calls them emerging leaders and fast tracking their success moving forward. And he's done that with brands that are global like Deutsche Bank. He's done it with iconic Australian brands like uh, Holden. So, you know, he's somebody who has a wealth of information. And I think if we really talk about it, honestly, You know, real estate markets go up and down, financial markets go up and down, economies change, but the one thing that's always in high demand across the world is leadership.
2: Mm. And from a sporting element, well and truly, is to lead teams. And we're going to hear not only about leading, you know, one of the, probably one of the most prominent uh, teams in all of Australia, but certainly looking at those emerging teams, those teams that have just started out. So I really want to delve into a little bit around culture sort of conversations and and, which is fine for an existing um, organisation that's been around for a long time and how we sort of reshape that. But I think it's certainly um, a great conversation to have for those new businesses starting starting out and how we actually um, do assess and, and, and start to grow that culture from sort of ground zero.
3: Absolutely. So there's no one better to bring into the microphone than Nick Maxwell. Nick Maxwell is the current culture and leadership uh, manager at the Collingwood Football Club, but also, more importantly, has worked with the uh, mighty iconic Melbourne Storm. And if Craig Bellamy says that this man's had a pivotal uh, you know, influence across the leadership group and if uh, Cam Smith sort of rates him highly, I think that's good enough for our our listeners. So for those who aren't AFL-centric, Nick Maxwell was the last premiership captain of the mighty Collingwood Football Club in 2010. He has risen to the top in the AFL ranks. He's also worked with the Greater Western Sydney Giants, which, uh, you know, when you compare the two, Organisations, Pete. One's more than 125 years old, and the other one's sort of, you know, not even a decade young. Mm. So uh, it gets back to your point earlier. So we're going to really dig deep into a man who's absolutely retained by world-class enterprises to help them with their leadership. Nick, thanks for agreeing to be a part of this wonderful podcast. We call Voices of Value, and we can't think of a better leadership voice than you. Thanks for having me, gents. I
0: think I might get you two to write me (laughs) a resume. Oversold me a little bit, but um, no, happy to be a part of it and yeah, obviously – my job is, is leadership and culture and uh, the different teams I work with so um, yeah if I, if I didn't know anything about that I wouldn't have a roof over my head so it's good to actually talk about it and hear other people's opinion as well well
3: rather than go into the football story we, we, we do want to touch on the leadership stuff don't we Pete realistically well we
2: do but I, I want to go back right to the very start Nick because um, you sort of came a little bit out of the out of the blue in terms of leading the Collingwood football you can be so. you can be kind <laughs> you know, you yeah. well, no, I, no, I came I really from the clouds yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I just think it's such an incredible story and Someone saw something, and, and and I want to know sort of, you know, because we really um, do voices of value with our listeners in mind and, and the sort of questions that they would ask. So, you know, did you feel it within yourself that you were a leader? Did someone from the external more so see it? I want to start with that and say, you
0: know, wh- where did this all stem from? Yeah, well, it's a lesson that um, I've kept with me ever since because I'd been, uh, I'd played probably 30 odd games um, and. Just Games, I was one of the last picked. Um, and Nathan Buckley and James Clement approached me and said, we want you to nominate for the leadership group. And I sort of laughed at them and said, why the hell would you want me to nominate for the leadership group? And they explained to me what they saw in me in leadership. And it was something that I didn't see myself or didn't identify as leadership. And that was um, doing everything to an absolute T to get the best out of myself. Um, it was always sort of following the rules and being team first and driving the team. Um, and it was... Um, I guess, always thinking about how we could make yourself and make others better. And that's what they identified, and they gave me examples of that. And I was sort of like, well, oh, okay, he's that leadership. And they're like, yeah, that's what we expect. And for me, as a young guy come through, I'd, I mean, I've captained one team in my life, and that was Collingwood. So I didn't have experience or I hadn't been in leadership courses or I hadn't been in developing leadership groups or anything like that. So um, them identifying that as me is something basically I've done ever since. I've looked for when I've seen something in someone else, I've said to them, Mate, that's leadership, that's a great sign of leadership there, or that this or that. And it's only little things, it doesn't have to be you don't have to grab a group and have a big, inspiring speech or do something incredible on the sporting field. Like, yeah, some leaders do that and get to that point, but others just do their job really well and then and then will have input when they need to. So, there's sort of different elements to it. They're the ones that identified me. Um, and then I went into that process of being in the leadership group. I was still half fell off my chair when Eddie said <laughs> I was going to be captain of the club and, and didn't expect it and I thought now what because I didn't have the experience and didn't know what to do um, but ultimately you just come back to well, what's important and and for us it was to build a team that was good enough to go on and, and win premierships and to try and um, I guess aim higher was yep. a big one for us um, to the point where I had a um, bit of a confrontation with uh, the, the famous coach Mick Mouldhouse when um, I said we're going to win the flag in 2009 and he ripped shreds off me and uh, and slammed the door that hard to his office the glass almost broke, <laughs> but um it, yeah it ended up back page the Herald Sun when I said it and he he said explain yourself and I said well we just haven't been aiming high enough and uh, we'd been in a prelim and a and a semi the two years before and our goals those years the first one was to finish top four so we did it but we lost a prelim by five points mm-hmm. to a team that won by 120 the next week yep. and then we lost uh, we want to get won a final and lost a final. Um, finished sixth the next year when we said we wanted to finish top eight so effectively we achieved the goals in both years but i was just like oh, that's not good enough i'm not happy with that i don't want to aim higher and i want to i want to build more belief amongst this group i reckon we're better than that and um Mick, to his credit, for probably the only time in his life, actually, started <laughs> came my way and uh, yeah. said, "Righto, yeah, we'll we'll try it that way." And um, and and the good thing I had was a lot of support around me, like Josh Fraser and Shane O'Brien and Tacken Scotty Pendlebury, all those guys. Scotty was a bit younger, but all those guys were like, um, "Yeah, absolutely! Like, let's let's aim higher." And I remember Fraser talking about. It. He goes, "Well, why don't we just?" talk about premierships more. So it was sort of um, a, a growing part and part of the evolution of us.
2: Mm. Before we go too far forward, I just want to just really hone in on these traits yep. um, as, a, as a young fella. And they, they've obviously seen something in you that you did, had no idea you had yourself. Looking back now, are you able to
0: identify what it was that 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 may have stood out? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, those things they describe. So the first one is um, they knew that I was going to do everything I could to be the best I could. In terms of my ability so not i was never going to be a brown medalist or anything like that but i was always going to be someone who got the most out of myself so but I that, think... that
2: there is a great message, isn't it? You don't have like you said before, Correct. you don't have to be a champion no. to
3: actually lead. Correct. So how much of that, Nick, do you think came from your entry into the AFL system? It didn't go the normal way. It's not like you were a standout junior. I know that you were a, a bit of a talent at St. Joey's and got identified with the Geelong Falcons in the FIDA Comp, which is the TAC Cup. And, yep. you know, you got invited down. I think from memory, 14s, 15s, 16s, 17s, never made it through yep. to the final. and yeah, got uh, cut. And it got cut. Yep. And then I think as an 18-year-old were you back as a top-age player and that was the only yeah. time you actually
0: made the team? Yeah, it was fifth time lucky. Um, so, it took a while. <laughs> so, and it then, shows resilience? Yeah. And I guess um, it shows a, um, a dedication to to wanting to improve yeah. um, because obviously I had to improve to get to where I was because I wasn't making the team before that. So, um, But then also on top of that, you go, you've got to set your goals high enough and I – For example, at the end of that year when I didn't get drafted um, and I tried out with Port Adelaide, I tried out with Hawthorne and didn't make it. But I went to Ballarat and played VFL footy there and um, I kept – I'd always go to Jared Fitzgerald, our coach, on a Monday and I'd be looking forward to the next week Um, straight away and I'd be going – I'd be trying to pick a player or ask to paint a player who was AFL listed because I was like, well, he's where I need to be or where I want to be, what a so great distinction yeah, days. I just want to get there and try and if I shock and beat them, yep. then maybe someone will think that that's good enough. So it's, you still got to have a mindset of of wanting to improve and wanting to get better. And um, I'm the first to put my hand up and say, I was far from the most skilled uh, player going around, but um, also felt like I had a skill set that probably wasn't identified. Like you can't identify it in a stats sheet. Um, I, I felt like I made my teammates better and I still remember um, we were talking. Guy McKenna became the backs coach. Um, and I remember we were in a backs meeting and he said to the group, he said, Well, what's going to happen when Maxi goes and takes one of those intercept marks? And John Owen sure goes, Well, he's going to fly through on his left foot. He's going to fly through on his right foot. He's going to handball to us because he knows that we're better kicks than what he is. And he's going to um, knock the guy over running behind us with a shepherd. So we're going to have time and space. And and guy goes, exactly. He goes, that's what he's going to do for you. So that makes you better because you got time to kick it. And he knows his skill set isn't to go out there and hit perfect targets every time. So he's going to give it to you because he knows what you can do. So I think even being able to swallow your pride and go, well, I know I'm not going to be the best player, but I know I can still have an influence and still play a role. And I think that if you go out there and take that away, that you don't have to be the man, then you can still contribute and you give other people an opportunity to contribute. I mean, that means more to me because ultimately it gives us the best opportunity to win.
3: And that's where you get back to your mantra of know your role, do your role. And yep. obviously that's something that you bring all the way through your leadership training. And I've sat in some of the rooms where you've shared that and yep. been very fortunate to hear that particular story. Don't just gloss over the fact that you tried out for a few clubs and got rejected. It's not like you just flew in and said, here I mm-hmm. am. You actually packed up the Camry from memory and uh, <laughs> drove the drove to Port Adelaide, didn't you? No, right. no, I flew, flew Fle- there. I
0: was there for five uh, or for a week, um, but I had they diagnosed me with osteitis pubis. Yep. so I couldn't actually yeah they said we don't know how to fix this so yeah thanks for coming, thanks for um, coming. and I got back and uh, and rang Hawthorne because Hodge had the same injury and yep. they were one of the ones that were interested in me. me so.
3: and just for the, our listeners you played your TAC Cup final year with Luke Hodge yep. at the Falcons and yep. um, and didn't win from memory I think you got knocked out in the prelim but you were the yep. player of the final series which in a side that had Hodge,
0: Bartell I think Maloney Ablett, Ablett. Yeah. <laughs> a few handy players <laughs> yeah it was, we had <laughs> a decent term. team yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah, and that's probably where the interest grew from for, yep. the, for uh, the AFL clubs. But um, yeah, got to Hawthorne train there a month, and then yeah, missed out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just makes you decide how much you want it when you get knocked back. And um, there's a book that's uh, sitting over here on my bookshelf um, that written by Eric Greitens, uh, who's an SAS guy, and he says uh, he's talking backward and forward with a guy who he led uh, in in the war, and they both came back and they were retired and. His mate struggle with post-traumatic stress and he writes a letter to him and says how he's struggling and eric writes back to him and says um you are not responsible for everything that happens to you but you are responsible for um how you react to what happens to you and i mean I've, i sort of was living that in that yeah you're disappointed and you've got the shits that you don't get picked or you don't make a team but you can either give up and go, it's too hard. I'm just going to go play local footy. Or you can go, nah, I, I'm good enough. I know I'm good enough. And you grit your teeth and you work harder. Mm. And I think that's with everything in life. Like there's no way, no one's had a smooth, just a smooth journey to wherever they want to get to. Yep. There's always going to be setbacks. So some, a lot of them outside of your control. Mm. So if they're outside of your control, what what more can you ask yourself that you can't do anything about it? If they're in your control, then you go, okay. I've got to take the lesson from that. So what did I do wrong or what would I have done differently if I've got that same opportunity again?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly selfless. That's yeah, where does here? the
3: improvement yeah. come from? And the last door that got slammed in your face, not slammed but shut in your face, was down Geelong where you thought you might have been a chance there and close to home and all that sort of stuff. But Bomber Thompson sort of said, hey, um, we're not going forward with you, but we want to sort of put you in the VFL supplementary list. And you go, well, I'm already doing that at North Ballarat, the culture I loved yep. and with players that I liked. And yep. you are obviously learning some lessons there through um, you know, your coaching staff there, as you mentioned yep. earlier. So uh, that then... Gave you the chance to be recruited by Noel Jack and Collingwood, and yeah. uh,
0: and away it went from there. Tell us that story. Yeah, well, I think that the I trained with Geelong for yeah over a month, and um, Bomber sort of called me in the last day and said, "Mate, we're not going to pick you." And look, I was I was shattered again, but I just felt like I'd wasted another month. But in the end, um, at that stage, you're just like, "Well, I'll go back to Ballarat and I'll keep working and I'll try and do it again." And the next day was actually the rookie draft, and uh, and that's where yeah. Shadow picked me and I'd given up. I hadn't even looked at – because I hadn't spoken to him for 18 months. Um, but it turns out that Chris Howley, who was the physio for Collingwood, had been treating me in Ballarat um, at different stages. And he rang me up and said, oh, just checking how, you, how your groin's going and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, geez, that's nice of him. He's rung up and checked <laughs> how I'm going and haven't spoken to him for a while. He knows I'm at Geelong training and um, – yeah, but jado would actually ask him to ring me up and do some digging. Um, bit of intel. Yeah, so <laughs> right. I uh, I had no idea about that. But yeah, ultimately, um, you get the opportunity and you've yeah, got a one-year contract and then got another one-year contract and you sort of – yeah, but you yeah. didn't believe it, did you? You thought it was mates catching up with because you were about to catch up with some friends had <laughs> yeah. Christmas yeah. drinks, and you thought, thought, thought it was a stitch up. Yeah, so I deleted a few of those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, deleted a few <laughs> of those messages. As Noel Judkins wanna welcome the club, yeah, of course it is delete. Next one, Mick Moldhouse, yeah, of course it is delete. So <laughs> of yeah, I thought, just thought it was a stitch up because when you haven't spoken to them for eighteen months, you just yeah, you yeah. don't really think that um, that they would be they would be uh, calling you to say that you're coming to the club. So yeah, that's how it worked out.
2: Can we um, can we talk about the coaches or the, or the influences that you've had on your life? Um, and I and I and I say coaching. I, I want you to think broadly, not just from a sporting sort of arena, yep. but you know, guys like Mick Moldhouse. I mean, just a legend of the game and as coach, you know, um, premierships and so forth. But you know, of the coaches that you've had along the way, and um, and 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 I, I want to save a whole section for Craig Bellamy because. Um, um, what a what a phenomenal um, record he has. But w- what are the things you think stand out for for the great coaches and those great communicators? Yep. Or um, well, that might be might be one of the um, one of the key things. But what do you think stands out for the great coaches that you've had along the way?
0: Yeah, when I run my sessions uh, with different organisations, um, I actually. I like people to do this reflection themselves because I can tell you a story, but if you haven't lived it, it's a, just a story. Like you don't quite understand it because you weren't there. So I actually do a session as part of one of the like things I run. I say to people, I go, who's had an influence on you? And I go through it myself and I talk about my parents and talk about how my dad would leave home before seven every day, He's, um, he was a builder and then he did uh, owns a business, that's prefabricated roof trust and wall frame. So big staff, sort of between 60 and 100 staff. Um, and then he'd be home at 5.30 when it's dark and he'd still find time to kick the footy with me outside. But <laughs> his work ethic um, and his, his, the way that he treated his staff and how I would see that interaction occasionally when I'm in there, um, just that stood out to me and that's what I learned from him. From mum, she's got a real empathy and she's big on charity and always giving and done a lot of stuff with the Royal Children's Hospital. She spent uh, a couple of weeks um, building an orphanage over in Africa um, with her Christian brothers. And so from her, I learnt the empathy part, but also um, the just giving and and giving back to the community you come from. Um, And then Gerald Fitzgerald, he had a lot of young um, players come to the club at North Ballarat and he was always – he wanted to know about – how was your day or how are you going? How's work? How's university? How's, are, you, are you getting enough meals? Because you, you're 18-year-old's out of home. And then he'd go, now let's have a look at your footy. <laughs> so he kept footy separate for yeah. a start. It wasn't the number one thing. you want to look after you as a person first. Um, Mick Moldhouse was uh, very much, he'd work out which button to press. So he would find out all about your past, and he'd work out whether he needed to be – some you were someone he had to put his arm around or someone where he'd just rip in here and I was the I was ladder. Uh, he'd rip <laughs> shreds off me and that was because – and I only found out this a few years down the track because at the time I'm like – I felt it was harsh. I was harsh the communication I was getting but it was um, – he knew that I was going to grip my teeth and go, I'll show you and, and I'd go harder and I'd play better because um, it was another – i'd been proving people wrong and that was my thing that i had i guess on my shoulder the chip on my shoulder i'm going to prove you wrong so he knew that was the button to press to get the best out of me whereas others if you press that button never would have worked Mm. so um and then you see. Guys like Bucks and Paul Licuria and James Clement, who I played with, were just ultimate professionals. Um, Bucks and Liquor did that much extra training all the time. Um, you see them, how they would train, the fitness work they do, the weights they do, like they're all ripped and the diet. Um, I still remember one of the uh, the first meals we had on a Monday night, we'd go to uh, Dimitina's in, in Carlton and have this little um, every Monday night tradition, and there'd be about 18, 20 blokes ago go every every week, and um and Bucks would order risotto with red sauce, not cream sauce. It was okay. just a small thing like that, and I'm like, oh, and I sort of asked the question, and because I'd still naive, wet my ears, didn't understand all the dietary stuff, and he'd go, oh no, you don't want to be eating the white stuff, the cream, so the fat compared, to, and I'm like, oh okay, and <laughs> I just didn't know about that stuff. Yeah. So every little detail, and then sometimes his skin folds would get too low, so he actually had to have I think it was one day a week or something, he had to have some cheese and biscuits like at night or something to keep your skin folds up so he didn't get crook. So there was like little things that, about professionalism that you pick up along the way. And if you're not looking, all those stuff will just go straight over your head. And unfortunately, a lot of those things do go straight over people's heads because you're not really looking for it. Mm-hmm. But when you sit back and reflect, and, and that's what I talk about with with the groups that I, I work with, is that the hardest thing about leadership is there's no – there's no end to it. There's no final. There's no grand final. There's no degree at the end. There's no Super Bowl. Like you just, it's every single day. You'll get. You'll make mistakes, but you actually have to reflect on it. Yep. So even for emerging leaders coming through, I talk to them about right. Well, what, what do you want to achieve this week in leadership? What are you going to commit to? And they'll say, Oh well, I'm going to sit down with um, this player and watch his video with him so I can help support him, and I'm going to take this guy out for coffee. Oh, perfect. There's two things that you've done in leadership to make yourself a better leader. Mm. Um, and that's also make yourself a better teammate at the same time. But unless you actually have a plan, you don't get the opportunity to, to actually improve yourself because you, we're all busy. Mm. And and particularly people in the corporate and business world, everyone's got deadlines, everyone's got budgets. You've got, We've got to do this, we've got to do this. And everyone's under pressure. You actually have to reflect. You've got to take that time to put it aside and just go, even if it's once a week, just on whatever day, what do I actually want to do this week? Mm-hmm. What do I want to achieve this week? And in business, I look at it from business to sport. In sport, we have to deal with the week to week. So we'll review a game. The coaches will review the game individually. They'll re- they'll review it as a group. Our leaders will review the game as a group. Individually, every player will review the- their own game. In divisions, backs, mids, forwards, you'll review the game. And then as a full team, you'll review the game. So that's six reviews on two hours, so two hours of your whole working week, and the rest of the week is spent reviewing the one just gone and planning for the next one. <laughs> so <laughs> training, preparation, your weights, your pool recovery, your, everything that goes with it, is to get ready for the next one. Because it moves on pretty quick, doesn't it? Right? Yeah, And you have to. You yeah. can't. You can't just dwell on it. And I think that when you look at um, even businesses, I okay, go, "Well, who does presentations here?" And every sort of half the group put their hand up and said, "When you do that presentation." The second time, you'll be better than the first time. The third time, you are better than the second time. So if you're going in and doing a presentation to a big client and that's the first time you've done that, there's no possible way that you can be the best you can in that presentation. Yep. So why don't you get three or four of your staff in the room, present to them like it's going to happen and get their feedback because they'll go, oh, you lost me here or no, nah, I love what you did here. I reckon you should put more emphasis on that or mm. "This, yep. you dragged on here too much. Like, Or record yourself and go and watch it back, yep. well, however you want to do it. But- why would you do it the very first time when it's really important? Like, what are you thinking?
3: Well, we talk about role-playing, don't we, Pete? Mm. And and people say, oh, I don't really like role-playing. I say, well, you are. You're just role-playing with the client. It's better off to role-play with your teammates and peers who can give you some feedback. And when we interview Bucks on this podcast, Nick, he talked about the fact that process precedes results. And so every result that's happened, you show me someone who's achieving really good results and I'll see someone who's got a very strong process. What was some of your processes for preparing as a leader week on, you know, when you were actually leading the club from yep. a playing perspective, because at the end of the day, 168 hours in the week, but there's only two hours that you seemingly get judged on, whether the team wins or loses and
0: your role in it. And we know it's much more for night than that. We yeah. understand that. But. Well it's probably um and this was probably the good thing or the the lucky thing for me is that because I didn't know or hadn't been trained in leadership, I was just doing what I thought was right. Yeah. So I wasn't trying to be someone I wasn't or do anything abnormal because I didn't know what what a leader should be in terms of in terms of that because I've never done it. So you're being authentic. Yeah. So ultimately, um, number one is do your job. Yep. If you're not doing your job, how can you possibly ask others to do theirs? Yep. But you need to lead well and do your job well. Um, I really just had to know what the opposition was and what our game plan was. And that's what I prided myself on knowing 99 times out of 100 or know exactly what Mick would want in every, every scenario. The other one would be something about a 15th century French war that um, just came out from nowhere that he'd read a book about and <laughs> and all of a sudden that's what we were going to do. So I or some Churchill quote. Correct, or- <laughs> yeah, something like that. So we'd always get – there'd always be a bit of war research had to go on. <laughs> um, but it's – and I think that he um, – my value to the team was also that yeah. in that he didn't have to worry about certain things because quite often – we'd pick things up out in the ground or make changes out in the ground before the runner got to us yep. and because they knew and he trusted us and you ought to build that trust but he trusted we'd be able to do what we needed to do and late in the game, let's get one behind the ball and try and shut it out or yep. if we need to win it and they put one behind the ball, I knew – who I was sending forward to, yep. m- to man them up. So there's sort of a lot of different things that, that went with it. Um, But I didn't know who – I didn't know how to win a stoppage. No. I didn't know what the forward structure had to be. You so, just knew everyone's
3: places in there and made sure they were in the right
0: spots. Yeah, well, and, yeah. and, and they have to do their job in there. Because that's well,
3: my memory of him, Pete, is he was like a traffic cop he'd be mm, at every yeah, stoppage he'd be it. just he'd be you Had a look at the footage you'd see that yeah 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 <laughs> and, and there was a bit of footage that Nick copped a bit of uh, criticism from when um, he got sort of physical with a player without going into absolute details and I remember that at the time thinking ooh that could be seen as him being too direct as a leader but the player himself actually said no I want that I want to get better I, I, I need to know if I'm you know just maybe lacking concentration at a vital stage in the game so maybe talk us it's through
2: sounding that sounding like
0: you yeah. knew what that, that was the right button to push correct, that correct. And, and that was my sort of strength um, I felt was my relationship so every player knew I was invested in them and that I was invested Mm. in our team so if if your relationship's strong enough I believe in any industry you can do or say almost anything obviously there is a line you can cross but almost anything and they know it's coming from the right place for the right reasons to make them better and to make us better as a team or a business whatever it is so if you invest in the relationships then that gives you that opportunity so that scenario was a player and I was it was the third time I'd had to tell him that quarter, and I was pretty aggressive and gave him a little <laughs> clip. Um, and it was shown over and over again, as they are. Yep. It's just before half time though, and um, so I'd get interviewed as I'm walking off the ground. All the other boys had gone running down. I had to wait for TV, so they'd gone into the rooms, and I did the interview, and then got there, and he was waiting for me. At, yeah, at the, at the room to go, mate, stay on me, keep telling me like I need to know, I need to get it right. Like don't don't let up on me. That's mm-hmm. right. And the only reason like he could have easily said like. F off, mate. You just embarrassed me in front of everyone. But he knew it was to make him better, to make us better. Yeah. So, Mm. because of that relationship. So, you can't. don't think that leadership-wise that you can skip that part mm. because ultimately there's there's managers and there's leaders. Yeah. So you can be an authority because of the position you hold, doesn't mean you're a leader. And one of the leaders that
3: we both had the great fortune of knowing, Alan McConnell, who uh, was the first person hired Pete with the GWS when they were formed as a club in the AFL. Very few people know this, but the first appointee wasn't Kevin Sheedy and it, you know, it wasn't their CEO. It was actually Alan McConnell because his job was to uh, come straight out of the academy uh, he was also my old footy coach at both East Burwood and and at, uh, at school footy. But I remember one day saying to a good mate of mine, geez, Mac, it just rides me like you wouldn't believe. It. He goes, that's a good thing? Because yeah. if he doesn't ride you, then A, he doesn't think you're capable or B, he doesn't think you deserve it. The fact he's riding you, I, let, I can tell you now, he lets a lot of things go by but mm. he doesn't let you go get away with it because he knows you're better than that. And I remember thinking, it doesn't make me feel any better when he's absolutely giving me a spray in front of yeah. everybody but it absolutely changed my whole philosophy.
2: Could I take a bit of a segue here, Nick, and that's probably um, – it's, it's very much in, in the eye right now is the coaching shuffle that's going on at the moment. Yep. And talk to us about from – your, from your perspective of, um, say, a, a team – and we've seen it now – Couple of times, um, a couple of coaches have gone out. The teams come out the next week and just absolutely firing. There's a few of them are going around now with, without a coach, and um, and they're just playing some some pretty incredible football. There's three teams, in fact, all yep. got rid of their coach and they've all just turned it around. What do you reckon's happened there from 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 a, a leadership and someone who's, you know, been yep. at that level?
0: Oh, there's, a, there's a few different things. I think the first one is um, sometimes you just need a circuit breaker. Uh, you need a circuit breaker as a team because things have got stale or you've you've dug yourself a hole and it's just you can't get out of it and you need a circuit breaker and often you can't drop eight players or ten players or cut them or bring in others because there's only a certain amount you can. But when the coach goes, quite often it's sort of a, a release valve and the pressure goes actually off because they go, okay, well, now there's going to be a process. That's part of it. The second part is the coach is gone now. Uh, well, I could be next. So from a playing perspective, you're like, I need to prove myself to this coach that I deserve to be here. Whether it be him or whether it be the guy who's in the stands watching who's going to be the coach, I've got to prove myself. I'm fighting for my career here as much as anyone.
2: Yeah.
0: So there's sort of a the, the couple of things. The third one is they tend to um, simplify because they know they've got four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks left. They haven't got a four-month preseason to put all these extra plans and do all these different things that they would want to do if they had the actual job. So they actually have to go cut things back Hmm. and simplify things. And when you simplify things, um, as much as we have got some bright players out there, we've also got some that maybe are a little bit challenged intellectually occasionally. Um, And when you simplify things and simplify their role, they they go, oh, this is all right, this is easier. I'm not thinking about 10 different things. Hmm. And often we do put too much... On them to actually go. You need to do this. You need to do this. you need to, Oh, have you thought about this? And sure, the leaders can they can deal with all that extra stuff, mm-hmm. but all, but so many players can't. And simplifying that helps. What a great about, summary. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Mm. We, I mean, I just think it's summed up there beautifully. We've talked in past episodes, Nick, about the word simplexity, taking the complex yep. and making it very simple. And if it's three things that they've got to focus on rather than 33, the chances of them succeeding are going to be far better. So I think any leader listening to this needs to understand the ability they've got to simplify what they want their teams to be achieving so that you know, once it's simplified, there's a better chance of being a measured be quantified and see achieved I would yep. have thought
0: and, and, and probably the other one in terms of the leaders who are out there in sport all our leaders be it on field off field they're um, reviewed so often and I'll keep coming back to review but the feedback they get I'll give Bucks feedback all the time yep. um, oh mate I, I love that message after the game when you spoke about this and I think that's exactly what we need to do or well, are you sure about that well, yep. have you thought about this and just throw different things at him yep. as a leader in your industry wherever you are do you have enough people doing that for you because mm. it also it releases pressure from you for a yep. start because yep. if other people are coming up with the ideas that helps number two it gives people a voice and they feel comfortable coming and putting it forward and you never know what type of ideas they might have so yep. they're actually growing and they're they're adding to it so mm. it's not only releases pressure for you but it gives them opportunity which is great and thirdly um no one's perfect Yep. and if as a leader, if you think you got all the answers, you're kidding yourself. Yeah, because no one's perfect, and there's always other things out there and other ideas that can help. And we often
3: talk about as a leader, if you you want to be the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. You need to be in a room where you're being challenged, and yep. you know through that, if someone's valued enough to have their opinion matter, then they're going to speak up. And I think that's important. Did you notice anything when you came back? Because you had a brief period away from the Collingwood Footy Club from yep. when you retired in 2014 to when you came back. Effectively, did you notice anything? Uh, uh, that may, may have been a, a great area for growth opportunities in
0: your role? In my role, um, yeah, I probably did actually. I mean, I, I think a, a good example is Taylor Adams. Yep. Um, when I got here, Tay had been vice-captain um, and he was with Steel Sidebottom and we do a we did a vote on player leadership on these are the things. I so said, what are the things you want from your leadership group? We put it all up there and then we said, all right, now I want you to pick who you think should represent the club. and. Tay was a bit further down than where he had been in the past, um, and I grabbed him and we spoke about it. And I got feedback for him from others, and we we talked through it all. And we put a little plan in place, and um, twelve months later, I caught up with him again on our training camp. And I said, and he'd gone back up in in the ratings with the players in the votes. And I said, well, what what's your the last twelve months look like for you? And he goes, mate. To be honest, no one ever pointed it out to me. <laughs> No one ever no. said the things that you gave me feedback on that, what, that I was doing that pissed people off or turned people off. I thought that was leadership. Mm. And all it was was Tay, he's, um, he's like, he wants to win. Yeah. He's a competitor, a fierce competitor yeah. and love him for it. You won't even a foxhole. Oh, yeah. But he's <laughs> a guy who, um so him having a crack at someone to raise their standards to where his are, uh, that was him going, I'm raising standards, I'm being a great leader. Um, but no one had pointed out to him that, not everyone can do it the same way. That him, that person over there improving themselves, they might do it in other ways. So of course there's always standards that, that everyone has to uphold. But yeah. he goes, No one had ever pointed it out to me until you told me that these are the things that aren't good. And now I get it. Now I see what all that's about. So as an example, there's a lot of individual stuff like that where sometimes someone hasn't pointed it out to him. Um, even I remember I had a, a guest speaker here in November in my first first time back in 2017, and um, the boys all sort of clapped and got up and walked out. And um, and I sent them a message, a pretty aggressive one, just saying that um, I wasn't happy that no one took the time to walk up, look that person in the eye, shake their hand, say, thanks for your time, I appreciate you coming out. And they all, the next time I brought someone in, the guest there well, or everyone now, they stand <laughs> hugs. They stand they go, we just stand there for twenty minutes shaking hands and they're asking questions and they're so engaged and um, the boys said, Well, no one's no one had pointed that out. That that's that's not acceptable. So
2: And, and that's that empathy you spoke of, and you said your mum Do you reckon you got that from your mum?
0: a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Even today she's still um, We've, uh, I run a charity um, out of Geelong for one of my mates who, who passed away. I do it um, through a scholarship system. And she's at me from the day after that, how we do it better the next time, the fundraiser. <laughs> yeah. and she does heaps of stuff for all children's Hospital still. So she just, yeah, she's a real giver. That's brilliant. Yeah.
2: Can we swing now to culture? And um, culture means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yep. To me, in our organisation, I talk about culture being around conversations. That yep. to me is culture. You've been around a lot of great organisations. What's the Nick Maxwell, uh, you know, philosophy around uh, culture? Yeah. What does it mean
0: to you? I think it's um, what you stand for as an organisation. I think is the is the number one thing. So I don't. I'm not a big believer on just great words and chuck them on the wall. I think that they have to they have to be um, seen in your actions and how you behave and what you do around here. So um, the 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 values that we have and the behaviours that are underneath that. We use them in our everyday language um, and people would be able to – if they watch what we do at any of the clubs um, and, and described it, if we said, all right, do these words line up with what you see? They'd say yes. Yeah. And, and I think that that's what it comes down to. It can't just be wall, uh, words on a wall. I think the, the other part to it which too often gets um, forgotten or, or not addressed is it's the traditions in your workplace. And the traditions in the workplace at Storm and at Collingwood um, are traditions that that becomes your culture. So we have a past player back here every home game, and we celebrate them. We show video of them. They sit in our meetings and they sit in our coach in the coach's box, and they all just go, "This is the greatest experience. I love this, <laughs> like because most of them never had that opportunity." And yeah. um, but that has become that's a piece of our culture now that we bring our past player back and we celebrate them and boys absolutely love it, the past players love it and that's become a part of our culture. The Storm have their old boys weekend and their old boys weekend is basically, because no one really came from Melbourne, everyone flew, come from other, obviously rugby league. Um, so everyone flies in for that weekend. It's a lock away and they know that they've got the lunch on the Friday, they're going out Friday night, they've got the game on the Saturday and they're flying home Sunday. So it's become this thing that everyone does and it's it's huge. Milestones are a big one at the Storm. Um, milestones are celebrated, and the emphasis on how you have to perform is just above and beyond um, what's mm. required. And also, you go back. I remember um, who was talking about it. Oh, Billy Slater was saying that at the Storm um, when they first got there, they'd do footy, um, go to clinics at schools, and that sort of stuff. And Robbie Kearns and the senior boys would say, "We." Um, we have to make this the best clinic ever. Like we can't afford to stuff this up because one bit bad bit of press, and we want the whole club might not be here next year. Mm. And that became part of the culture. Yep. So that's why behaviourally, the standards are always huge there, and you don't seem. It's been a lot of stuff going in rugby league, but you don't see a lot of it happen at the Melbourne Storm because of of those standards.
2: So, um, and I want to get we'll get back the Storm in a second. But GWS, so your time there. So how long had GWS been when you went to GWS? Three or four years in the club, yeah. Five or four or five, five years, something like yeah. that, yeah. So how did how did you see that differ from a, um, from f- a club well, from that had been a around from 120 <laughs> <Yeah>. or <odd> years? 25-plus <laughs> yeah. years, Storm, were, were probably, you know, what were that, 15, 16, 17 years? Yep. Like, actually, 20 years, 20 something years. like that. Well, it was 20 last year, so 20 yeah, last year, I was year, about yeah.
0: 16 when I got there. Yeah. So
2: so what would you say um, for a relatively new organisation? Yep.
0: I think the the great thing that they had was they bought players in from other clubs who were going to be there for the long, long haul. So they didn't – they – yeah, they topped up with some older guys for a bit of experience, but they invested in Callum Ward and Phil Davis, like those guys who'd had a few years at other clubs, but they were going to lead them for a decade. Mm. And you've got to have the foresight to do that and the confidence in your selection criteria to be able to do that. Yeah. But those two guys have been like, and they've been a perfect yin and yang because. Phil is the talker, he gets it, he's <laughs> yeah. organised all out and Callan's the lead by example. When he says something, I'm sure everyone listens but he's the go out and do it and follow me boys and he'll go out and run through a brick wall for you. So um, it's it's being able to invest in those people to do it for the long term and Leon Cameron's been a great example of that as well. He's moved his whole family up to Sydney and they've invested in him for the long term. Mm, so yeah, yeah. I think you can't have a short term sort of view of what's going to happen or what you want to do. It has to be a long-term view. Plus,
3: Cal and uh, Phil were leaders at their former clubs, Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs, clearly. so Yeah,
0: well, yeah, they are both sort of, I guess, on that verge because they were both yep. pretty young. They are both about 21 when, when they come, so they'd experienced the other clubs, but they knew they were going to be there for a long time, and I think that's important. Yeah. Let's
2: swing into um swing storm. storm. And, um, <laughs> he's uh, been,
0: uh, he's uh,
3: been he's been uh, saving this up, I gotta yeah. tell you, and we are conscious of time, so he wanted yeah. to make sure uh, was uh, of it was I'll,
2: I'll tell you why though, is because you know, if I was a young guy now and, and I just joined in the NRL ranks, who would you want to play under in terms of a coach? And I just look at Craig Craig Bellamy and what he's been able to do for young people yep. and to make them and I just wonder if that same person was at another club under another leader. Would they be as good? Because time and time again, he has taken guys and shaped them and and um, just made them amazing. Yep. Um, so, talk to us about Craig Bellamy, the person, the leader. You know what what makes him so successful?
0: Uh, his biggest thing is um, work ethic, and and he demands that of his players, but he does it himself. So. He's in at the club at five in the morning. He'll do an hour and, hour and a half session himself to keep himself fit, and <laughs> keep himself – because when you're around young, fit people, you want to be fit as well. Um, so he's in there. there. There's one story that probably – actually, I'll share two of you. The first one um, that really sums up what he's like. Um, he showed the opposition how they attack last year, and he showed this bit of vision. Um, so he did the whole – This went for 40 minutes or so, Then there was one clip down the bottom you can see him up on the board and there was just one clip, and – he goes, now I just want to show you this one clip, because I've only seen him do this once in the last six weeks. Um, but they might do it to us. So once in the six weeks. So you sit back and think about that, you go, <laughs> okay. So in the last six games they've done they didn't score a try off it. So he couldn't just go and search so and so tries in the last six weeks. They didn't even score off it. So, but there was one bit of play and he thought attention to detail and work ethic, he'd look through six games and analyse the opposition and then shown this one clip. That he thought they might do it. So they didn't even score for it. So I wasn't even successful. <laughs> but attention to detail, just like the just might be the one. So it's him ticking that box that I've shown him everything, I've done everything I can, now put my hand up, and now I can demand that on my players. So never mm-hmm. be too big to keep an eye on the very small details Correct. of what that lesson yep. is. What's your other story? So the other one was um about the fact that he doesn't think he knows it all. Yeah, And he hasn't got a big enough ego that he thinks he's got <laughs> all the answers. So every year, he and Frank Panisi, who are just like the best team you, yep. you see they've been together for over a decade and um, they go away so they only get a probably a month off every year and they spend three weeks overseas at other clubs trying to find 1% somewhere just try and learn something and you think after you've been coaching and been in the game for as long as, as particularly Craig has that you just go you know what I'm going to kick back and go and spend some days up in Queensland with my with my daughter and my grandkids. or But no, nah, he still commits to go over there to do it just to get better. Um, and that was best underlined halfway through my first year uh, over at Storm. Um, we were playing – we lost two games in a row. We had a guy called Ryan Hinchcliffe who was in the leadership group who's just like a heart and soul type player. And Hinch had come off the bench um, in both games and won the player's player award. And we were down 14 nil and 16 nil when he came on and we were playing Penrith at home. And I just said, oh, Balzer, that sign says, see something, say something. Um, and I've been tossing up whether to say this because it's not my job, and it's not in my wheelhouse of what I should be doing. But I noticed this, and I just described that about Hinchy. And I said, if he's going so good, he's in such good form, and it's Smithy's, I think it was 300th at that stage, um, who's his best mate, why wouldn't you start him? So we get a really good start with a guy who's in really good form, who's going to do anything he can because his best mate's playing a milestone game um, and then deal with who comes off the bench off the back of that. And then he just sort of paused and looked at me and I held my breath thinking, oh, no, you should. Sure? I'm about to get sacked. <laughs> Might have been the line. Yeah, I may have yeah. stepped over it. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, um, you know what? You're right. You're right. He goes, good on you for saying something. Just turn around and walked away. And I finally <sighs> just breathed out. But um, he could have easily said, mate, Piss off, you're the leadership guy, you're yeah. AFL, you don't know anything about rugby league. Let me pick the team. And yeah. it was oh, that's where it was one of those moments where it could have easily gone the wrong way. And then, I mean, he would have gone, let's not worry about renewing his contract. He's trying to stick his nose in where it's not needed. Mm. But it was a bit of leadership in that he was a leader, mm. actually, Um and it was an identification of where we're going as a team, which is leadership. So the fact that he goes, okay, I took that on board was again, like, he doesn't think he knows it all. And the other
3: thing, sorry to cut you off, Nick, the other thing there, Peter, gets back to Nick's point earlier about values have to match behaviours. So values can't be just words up on a wall. So in the storm sort of meeting room, it's got see something, say something. I give feedback because I care about my team. Right. And so it's sort of part of the value system. I don't think I'm giving – I hope otherwise Frank will kill me. <laughs> you said it, on me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. sorry, Frank. Yeah, I may have given something secret <laughs> away there.
2: Rick, do you want to um, – Rick and I were talking uh, the other week around communication and, and the challenges that, say, an NRL team will have. Do you want oh, to yeah. – yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think Nick explains incredibly well is that Nathan Buckley, Mick Malthouse, Jared uh, Fitzgerald, any AFL coach typically can speak almost one way and capture the audience in uh, holistically because – of the way that AFL is predominantly the Indigenous game. But when you talk about NRL and you specifically speak about the Melbourne Storm... Um, I think Bellamy is one of the best communicators and I heard him share this at a, a thing we were on some panel many years ago and I can't remember exactly where it was, but when he talks about the fact that, you know, we think that all Polynesian players hear and, and evaluate information the same way and he was talking about how a Maori is totally different to a Samoan and a Tongan and things of that nature. And I remember you sharing some feedback with uh, an audience that I was fortunate enough to be in, Nick, where... You gave Bellamy some feedback about a player that you didn't think was listening to you, but he actually said the fact he's not looking you in the eye, that's how he's showing you respect because in his tradition, that is respectful.
0: Yeah, it was a, um, a young guy, young Tottenhamer Pio, who's a Samoan kid, and uh, and I went up to him and said, um, oh, how'd you go on the weekend? And he'd play in reserve grade, and he sort of, uh, yeah, good, and put his head down and, and was sort of looking at his toes. I thought, that's a strange reaction, and um, I went back the next week and watched his video before I saw him. And um, he scored a try. And I was like, oh, young, great try, brother. Like from a few meters away. And his whole body language changed and he opened up and he's smiling. And I said, tell me about the try. How'd you score it? And all this stuff. And like gave me a high five and all that. I said, mate, last week I I said, I asked you, oh, how are you going? And you straight away looked at the ground and didn't look in the eye. And what, what happened there? And he goes, oh, no, Nick, no, no. You're, um, you're a coach. Even I'm not a coach, but he's in the <laughs> role I was in. So he goes, so you're. Um, like where I come from, you don't look authority in the eye. You bow your head to authority. And I was like, Oh gosh, so I'm here's here I am thinking, Jesus he's either really shy or it's sort of I don't know, you can't, you know, when you look someone in the eye and you talking to you can't yeah, you can't really trust them. Or yeah. yeah. So um I didn't quite understand. I went and had the conversation with Belzer and yeah, it was yeah, we had a good chat about it about what it looks like and how they're all different and <laughs> Uh, one of the great things, again, you talk about traditions and what it stands for. We do culture nights, so we have Tongan nights, Samoan nights, Fiji nights. Oh, that's so great. We, we cook their food. We hear about their histories, their background, um, where they're from, what makes them tick. Um, and and one of the great things we did was we'd done all those, and then the Kiwi boys go, "Hang on, what about the Aussie night?" You know, we come here and we don't understand half the shit you guys do. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, a good old-fashioned pine yeah. yeah. isn't So well, what the boys did was they, um, I said, right, I got a group of the Aussie boys down and uh, they, had to, they had to do it, the Emerging Leaders boys, and they went in and um, they did this. Uh, everyone who walked in the door got given uh, sausage and bread and a beer yeah.
1: <laughs> and they sat
0: down and they started going through all like all the Aussie slang and the, the Kiwi boys and they had to guess what the slang was <laughs> and what it meant to <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, it was good fun. But again, it's just another way of, yep. yeah, breaking the ice, another little tradition, and, and that becomes part of your culture.
2: That's awesome. As we as we come to the end of this podcast, and um, Nick, this has been so enjoyable. You. You're incredible, and um, to see, you know, from years ago you on the ground and how you led um, without being the number one player, without being the star, so to speak, and I I do say that, you know, with the greatest amount of respect, just the way I saw you lead and direct and all that sort of stuff, and to meet you now and to to hear some of the stories and so forth, it's no wonder you're doing some amazing things and getting some amazing – growth out of um of those around you so it's um it's a full credit to you and i I thank you for that the question just my closing question rick um and nick is the athlete of say 20 years ago to the athlete today and moving forward what do you reckon what do you think are the biggest challenges that that a coach or a leader faces in terms of getting the best out of their 18 19 year old
0: um athlete Probably the same challenges that you face in any workplace is that um, there's so many other things going on in the world that weren't going on then. So um, just social media for a start. So um, for us, when we're trying to look after athletes, you've got athletes who will go out and perform on the weekend. If you're about 30 years ago, you perform on the weekend and Monday night you the coach would give you some feedback and that would be it. Now they perform on a weekend. They get feedback from 500,000 people on social media. Uh, a lot of it can be very negative whether they play well or not. Mm. Um, you get feedback on probably a dozen footy shows. You get feedback in the papers. You get feedback on every internet site where everyone writes about the sport. Um, when in reality not one of those people actually know what your job was what your role was and yeah. what you're being measured on <laughs> so which is the biggest challenge um, so it's sort of and then you've got other things that come along with general life I mean we didn't have or well, to the best of my knowledge going back 25 30 years there wasn't um drug use consistent drug use out there and it wasn't so it wasn't everywhere like it is today um and you're trying to talk about as about well we can't actually do that i know it's illegal but you can't actually be a part of that sort of stuff whereas all your mates and everyone else in the pub might be but you can't be um every single person's got a video phone so if you go back 25 30 or years 35 25 30 years there was no such thing and you could go to the pub have 15 beers, get kicked out, getting a punch mm. on, do whatever you do. Mm. Now, if you do one thing the wrong way, someone puts a video on you, then you just get crushed and you cop yeah. it from everyone. Mm. Um, there's If you used to gamble, you used to go to the races and you use a bookie or there was no – now you can do it on your phone, you don't even need money. You can just put in numbers. And like for young guys, it can grab hold of you really quickly. Mm. So yeah. um, there's so many different – I mean, even the point where um, – before the draft came in, there were zones. So everyone grew up in a certain zone and 95% of the players who play for that club grew up barricading for that club and they came from that zone. Mm. Whereas now we've we've got two guys from Ireland who have to have some form of um, homesickness at different stages because they want to—they're missing their family and they're missing their old life. Um, we've got a guy from America. We've we've got a young Fijian kid, Artu, uh, who yeah, we've sort of um, working through different challenges that he faces compared to someone mm-hmm. else, to compared to Jaden Stevenson. Mm-hmm. So you would never have seen. Someone put on a thirty-five dollar bet and gets suspended for ten weeks. Thirty years ago, either. Yeah. So there's sort of there's a heap of different things to do with welfare, um, depression, and mental health didn't didn't really exist in the sporting world. It probably existed, but it wasn't um, identified like yep. it is today. Yep. So we just as a club we have to think holistically. We just can't think you have got a good football player, go and play football. Whereas that's basically what it was back in the day. So now we've got to think about um, who they're going to live with, uh, how they're treated mentally, how they're treated physically, um, what type of weights they're doing, um, how they're outside of sport, what are they doing. Um, Yeah, the careers are longer these days. But that's probably more because we've got more teams. So the depth isn't there to bring more people in. So you'll hang on to a guy for another year. So that starts to, to get better. And, and we're getting better as an industry at helping guys for life after sport. Yep. But at the same time, um, the identity that players face when they leave sport um, is a real challenge because they've been a footballer for 10, 12 years and then that's gone. And then well, what am I now? Mm, yeah. Oh, my next footballer. But you've got to look at it as football as a part of your life. And you're playing football, but you're not a footballer. If you just think I'm a footballer, you're not looking at anything else and addressing other things you need to be doing. So are you studying? Are you doing work? The, the hardest thing with an athlete is there's an expiry date on every one of their careers, and they don't know when it is. It's not a milk carton where it's seared into the side and it says yep. July 25. You don't know when it could, it could end tomorrow. Yep. You could break your ankle and never play again. You could be in a car accident. Anything could happen, and it's all over. So if you only identify as that athlete what's next? Cuz you can't do it forever unless mm. you're Cameron Smith.
3: Yeah. <laughs> 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 and probably the probably the best way to sum up Smithy is goat greatest of all time. Let's be uh, candid uh, yeah. Pete I I don't know of any other leadership sort of voice of value we've had in just quite uh, on a year now uh, that's be- better and we've got to be careful how we say that because we, we want to pay respect to all of our past guests and when Maxie talks about you know emotional well-being, of course, we had Wayne Schwartz not that long ago when we it's talked ruined, about – He's He's just an absolute uh, machine and we've had feedback with – a lady I met last week that Pete introduced me to told me that she cried on a treadmill listening to that particular episode in the gym and you know we've had people say to us you know Nathan Buckley we thought he was a bit of a you know fig jam but you know now that I've listened to that I realise he's actually a really nice bloke and you know so I think the, the beauty of these type of interviews is that we're hopefully sharing content with you our audience we're hoping that you've got the ability to share it with your networks because it is the more the more and once messages like this get around it's got to have an impact for the better that's what we're all about so as you all know None of this costs you anything. Pete and I do it because we love connecting with amazing world-class leaders. If you are somebody who's looking for a voice of value around your leadership sort of next event, um, I know that uh, Nick just spoke for a very good friend of mine literally in the last uh, week or so and the feedback it was always what I knew it was going to be, which was that he was very authentic. He had a great value. He gave us some simplistic things that we could do straight away. Now, this is a pretty big company, one of the biggest in the space that they're in and yet they found that there was some value there to be had. So, I think the the key message for me is this is not just the guy who's structured to the point where he's going to come in, deliver a PowerPoint presentation on Leadership 101. I mean, he's... Uh, he is somebody who can be uh, a little bit uh, more aligned to the situation um, I never saw that in a greater version Pete than the 2010 grand final when the game was getting very very tight and I could see him launching I think don't punch this Maxi mark it, for Christ's sake and he did <laughs> and he marked it and got it forward and we got the we got the uh, the goal that gave us the uh, the draw I think well, we only got a draw at right? yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> we got to fight another day but <laughs> had you have
3: punched it I think we might have God knows what could have happened but I always remember you saying uh, on, um, on a post Event of that that uh, you never rocked up to a game only twice in your career where you just knew that we were going to win and that that replay was one of them because you just knew that uh, the resolve was there and I think that's a bit again part of your leadership capability that you knew all of your team so well that you could see it in their eyes, you could feel it in their behaviour and you could listen to their voices and you knew that we could come back and get the job done seven days later. For me, it's been a highlight but as you know, Pete, I'm not uh, cl- totally biased in this because uh, <laughs> I know I know the value of being around this man and inside these four walls.
2: Oh, it truly has and uh, to hear some great insights in terms of this footy club and um, another great... Um uh, sporting clubs as well. But Maxi, you're doing some incredible stuff, and uh, I've got to say that for the listeners out there they would have they would have got another insight into the world of Nick, uh, the, the headspace of Nick Maxwell and the world of Nick Maxwell, and um, you've shared some some incredible insights and some, uh, some amazing value that you've shared and I, I just want to you know thank you wholeheartedly from,
3: from Voices of Value and cool. just before we sign off Nick Maxwell does have a consultancy business that we'll put the link uh, yep. on this particular Thanks podcast man. so that you can get in touch direct if you come through Peter and I of course we'll take a commission uh, that's just <laughs> how we roll um, no not true uh, better to get 80% of yeah, something yeah, than 100% right. of nothing <laughs> yeah. yeah just call <laughs> yeah. Nick, Nick's Elvis and we're Colonel Time I think it's 50-50 isn't it but uh, but uh, you know Nick's Consulting business is available don't think you have to be a multinational like deutsche bank don't think you have to be an iconic business like holden if you're a, a, you know a mar and par corner store with four or five employees he's happy to come into the boardroom and share with you what he knows he's happy to come into a corner meeting room and share what he knows as i think he's displayed all the way through this interview he is a servant leader he wants to give the very best of what he knows nick maxwell on behalf of all of our voice of value audience we say thank you very much for the gift of your time
1: thanks for having me, James. thanks nick We trust you enjoyed listening to Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. If you're keen to enhance the quality of your life even further in the future, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source. Our website is VoicesOfValuePodcast.com and we welcome both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice, and the value-added way.